Our text today has nothing hard to it. There's nothing difficult to understand, nothing. We'll read it in a minute. And as we go through, you'll see, wow, we don't even need Jeff today. And we've had some tough stuff in, in the book of Romans that we plowed through and like, is this what this means? And what does that mean? And it got heavy and it's just, wow. Today, we are thoroughly in the middle of the practical section of Romans. There is nothing complicated. I think we have like eight verses. We're going to preach on six of them. You've noticed on your handout, it is part one of a message. Today we'll have, and I included part one, I want you to see that because the outline looks very, very strange. It has like Roman numeral one and there's nothing else. You'll see Roman numerals two and three, Lord willing, next week out of verses 15 and 16. Nothing complicated, but can you hear me right here? You'll, you'll realize this pretty soon. Easy to understand, hard to do. When I read this, if you've already read it, how do we do this? We're talking about something that is not possible. Not only hard, not only very difficult. Hey, in the next few days, I don't know the exact date. I'm coming up on my 39th spiritual birthday. Been saved almost 39 years. I fail to live up to what I'm up here saying we're supposed to do. This is tough. This is not humanly possible. And yet we're called to do it. And so... I want you to approach it that way. So you say, Jeff, then we have no chance. God is calling us to do something we literally cannot do. I said we'd start with something before we look at Romans, and it's just a quick passage, Philippians chapter 2. There is hope for us to see this accomplished. And this will be the only way it will be accomplished. Look at Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, what Paul tells the Philippian church. He's not there. He's in prison. He's actually under house arrest this time. And he's writing back to a church that he founded and he tells them to the Philippian church, imagine it's like us meeting. Say Paul founded Graceview and he's writing to us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. Don't stop obeying the Lord. Don't stop obeying my words as an apostle. This is what Paul is telling them. Not only as in my presence, don't just obey when I'm in town. But much more in my absence. Paul, you're in prison. What does he tell them? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That does not mean, hey, do your best, work your way to heaven. It means the salvation that is in you, it is in you. Work it outward. Let it come out with fear and trembling, this reverential awe of God. I read that because of verse 13. Jeff, if it's so hard, do we even have a chance? Paul says, work it out with fear and trembling, outwardly working your salvation, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I have good news. The bad news is you're going to read this text in a minute and say, oh my goodness. God really expects this. The good news is, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you who works in your will. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian this morning, when we read read this text, something in you is going to say, I want to do that. I want to be that kind of Christian. And you will be. God is going to change your want to. It's going to take your whole life. 
but he is changing your want to, and he's going to help you actually work to perform the will of God. It will take the Holy Spirit. That's the only chance we have. Love has been the key, the theme throughout Romans 12. thought of this a while ago, and I said, boy, maybe I don't even need to say that. I'm going to mess up. This is a half-baked thought. But if you were to say, Jeff, what are some of the key chapters in the book of Romans? I'm going to tell you it's chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. You say, that's a third of the book. I get it. I'm going to jump ahead, and chapter 8 is obviously a key chapter. And I think chapter 12 belongs right in there. We're in the middle of it, and love has been the theme. Love is the key. Love in chapter, verse number 9, verse number 10, verse number 13, it's been the overriding thought throughout. It's going to take love. Now let's read our text. We'll do two weeks on this. Today we'll look at verses 14, 17 to 21. Next week, Lord willing, 15 and 16. Here we go. With love as the backdrop, and the Holy Spirit, our only hope of fulfilling this, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Guys, I ain't kidding. If I just read this passage today and you just went home and said, I'm just going to think about this and I'm going to try to put this into my life, this is tough. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Next week's passage, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, Graceview. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I'm pretty smart. I get it. Never do that. Back to this week, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought, really think about, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We've now stepped outside of, this is not just about Christian brothers and sisters, not just about church. We're not talking about people in the outside world. With all, unsaved, saved alike. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Just don't do it. But leave it, leave room, leave space. For what? The wrath of God. Leave vengeance to the wrath of God. For it's written. Ah, we can take some solace in this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So verse 19, don't do that. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't let evil win. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil. How? With good. Well, we could pray and I could go home and you guys could go home and read this ten times, maybe... Write some notes to self. Think through how it affects your life. And you'd realize this is tough. Three things I believe I want us to look at this week and next. And we'll focus on the one this week. And it all has to do with a godly response. And our thought today is this. There is no outline. 
I'll go ahead and tell you the outline is one point, and what we're going to do is kind of look at an overview of this, and we're just going to kind of do what's called running commentary. It's not really an outline, not really a sermon. It's just pulling out, we'll look at verse 14, then we'll jump to 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, make some conclusions. And that will be the message today, and here's the thought. It's a godly response to pain from others. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at pain and joy in others. How do we need to respond to pain and joy in other people? Rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. This week, it's pain from others. How do I need to respond? Well, we need a godly response. Before I preach, can I make something really, really clear? I know this is super obvious, but I think every now and then we need to state the obvious. There'll be about three times a day. I will state the obvious. Here's the first one. This passage is not talking about when we reap what we've sown. This is not when we're doing the wrong. This whole passage has to do when you have been done wrong. So if you're sitting here this morning and say, boy, the devil's really been fighting. Really, what's going on? Just in a lot of ways, like what? Well, I got two speeding tickets this week. Speeding tickets, what's going on? Yeah, the devil's fighting. Well, where'd that happen? Up Highway 85, you know, right there. It goes from 65 down to 60 right before you get to Greenville. Well, I barely got into the 6. Got a speeding ticket. Well, what were you doing? You still going 65? Oh, no, I was going 85 on 85. But, man, the guy nailed me. It's going to cost me two or 300 bucks. The devil's really fighting. That's not this passage, guys. This is when we've been wronged and we're not doing any wrong. You ever had that happen? You have. You have. I know you have. You can relate. Rather, what's happening in this passage, this sounds a lot like Jesus. Remember the greatest sermon ever preached? It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Listen to what Jesus says, and I want you to notice God's response to his enemies because Jesus and Paul is not calling us to do anything God doesn't do himself. Jesus preaching at the beginning of this greatest sermon, verse 43 of Matthew 5. Listen to what Jesus says. He's like even tougher than Paul. He says, you've heard that it was said. Listen to God this morning. Jesus is God. Here's what he says. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You're like, yeah, I'm going to pray about them. No, 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 no. Pray for those who persecute you. Why would I do that? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Sons usually have characteristics of their father, and if God is really my father, then I need to be behaving like him. If he really lives inside of me, Jesus says, here's how you know. Well, what's God like? Have you ever noticed this? He, God, makes his son, it's his son, rise on the evil and on the good. Well, why does God do that? Can he make just the sun shine on their crops and not on their crops? And he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. They're getting their crops rained on and sunshine? Absolutely. God's blessing them? Sure. This is what God does. Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, yeah, that's kind of the ones I love. They love me, I love them back. Well, that's me too. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, hey, there's my friend over there. I'm going to go by all these people that may be my enemies or strangers or visitors. I'm going to blow by them so I can get to my friends. What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Back to Romans. Romans 12, 14 to 21 is absolutely impossible, guys. Why? 
The only way I've concluded that I have a chance of doing this is if I have the renewed mind that verse number 2 of Romans 12 talked about. Don't be conformed to this world. Paul would say, Jeff, everybody reacts that way. That's normal. That's human. That's the normal response. What you're being called to do is have a whole new way of thinking, a whole new transformation in your life by a renewed mind. In other words, Jeff, you don't have a chance unless you have a brand new birth. You're going to need a brand new heart. But God says, I give you a new birth and a new heart when I saved you. And now my Holy Spirit's inside you working. Only chance we have. This is impossible apart from this renewed mind. Why? Because right here in this audience, I had a larger number, but I want to be safe. I don't want to exaggerate. I had 100,000. I scratched out one of my zeros. Not that you'll ever see it, but I'm going to say in this room, we have 10,000 scars. Or maybe not even scars. Wounds in this room 10,000 easy in this room so what kind of wounds what kind of scars people in this room many of you right now when I go through this list you will think of one some of you will think of multiple things this has happened to you you've been lied about you've been lied to in this room physical abuse some of you immediately you're like right now your heart's beating some emotion is rising in you. You're thinking of a time or multiple times that's been your life, physical abuse. Others of you, it's verbal abuse, screaming. Or maybe they don't even scream. They don't raise their voice. You would rather them raise their voice. But they surgically put the knife in and they twist it. And they know how to make you feel like a dog. And you grew up in that. You married into that. And that's the kind of friends you've chosen. Others of you, you've been neglected. You've been slandered. Some of you, you've had things literally stolen from you. Some of you, you've had adultery committed against you. Unfaithfulness. They promised, they lied. You stayed faithful. Wounds, scars, easily 10,000. And that's why I'm here to tell you, there is no way we can fulfill this passage unless we have the renewed mind because the natural reaction, just as I go over that list, is I am angry and I want to get you back. I'm going to retaliate. And if you see yourself as being strong as they are or more powerful as they are, you will naturally want to retaliate. And then along comes Jesus and Paul and says, no, 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 bless them. Bless them. Be a blessing to them. Still by way of overview, these verses that we just read a while ago, 14 and 17 to 21, guys, they cover a whole array of wrongs. As I gave that list, and that's just a very small sample, listen carefully. Some of you thought of an incident, a one-time thing, they did that. Others of you say, no, it was a whole season of my life. There was a series of things happening, and you could still remember it. Others of you, and I think this is the toughest group, this is your life. It's a continuing pattern. You're sitting there right now, you are beat down today, you've been beat down for months and years, and now you're reading this passage, and you might be tempted just to say, I'll never do that. Let's just move on to the next chapter. I'm trying to do these things each week and then implement in my life. I can't do this. You don't understand what people have done to me or what they are currently doing to me. I want to put these things into two categories. Category number one, watch. Some of this is just sinful human beings living together. You know what I mean? It's saved against unsaved. It's unsaved to unsaved. It's Christians on Christians doing these things. Why? Because we're just sinful. 
But then there's also, and I don't think it's like the lesser part of this passage. It may be the focal part of this passage. There's this other section that's called religious persecution. Literally, your faith has cost you. These people are doing this because you're a Christian. So some, it's just us living life. We're just simple. We hurt each other. We wrong each other. And then over here, it's because of your belief in your life for Christ. And that's what we're looking at. Religious persecution, just put it bluntly, I'll I'll just tell you guys, and you're naive if you don't believe this. This world system hates Jesus Christ, and the more Jesus is in your life, the more they're going to hate you and hate us. The devil would love to persecute and tear us down. He wants to stop us. We have an enemy. He is going to oppose Christ in us. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's actually in prison when he writes this. This will be the last book. You said, wasn't he even in prison when he wrote Philippians? Yes, he was, but that was not the last book, and he would end up getting out of that prison sentence. This time he will die, have his head cut off according to tradition. Watch what he tells Timothy, his young protege. I believe Timothy was very discouraged, wanting to quit, and Paul kind of writes to rebuke him. Verse 10, talking about religious persecution, Paul says, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, been with me you followed my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecutions you were there Timothy you saw a lot of it my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch Iconium and at Lystra Timothy's hometown you were there when it happened you saw me be stoned they buried me in a pile of stones thought I was dead which persecutions I endured yet from them all the Lord rescued me Timothy don't you quit you've seen that you've seen me keep going I've lived through that the Lord's helped me but verse 12 indeed All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving people and deceiving themselves. It's coming, Paul's saying, persecution's coming. Please listen. Persecution is real, it is hurtful, it's painful, and it is coming. And sometimes it comes from the strangest places. Like what? This is not me, okay? In fact, before I even say that, I would relay this. I have experienced persecution. I've been on the wrong side of issues, okay? I've been wrong. I'm confessing to you. I have been wrong. Thinking about this this week. I have been wrong, said some wrong things. I've been in conversations that opposed people. They weren't there. And later on, I realized I was just wrong on that. But I'll tell you what's happened to me. I have been in situations where people have wronged me in private, me and them, or in small groups, and they're just opposing, and you can tell. I mean, I literally have, this week, thought thought through situations, people opposing me, and I know that it has happened when I'm not there, and in private, they're undermining. Has your faith ever cost you anything? Because I'm thinking of people, and I believe in their heart, they thought they're defending maybe the faith. Or they're defending their faith. Or maybe they even thought they're protecting the church or their church. But I know in that situation, they were not in tune with God. They were not in tune with the Word of God. But they were opposing. Again, I've been on the wrong side of that and I've been on the receiving end of that. And then we have these persecutions. Real, painful. Sometimes coming from even our family. Now, that is, does not describe me. My testimony is my family are Christians. 
from the time I got saved when I was nine, the time I got called to preach at age 12, yes, that's when I felt the Lord's calling on my life. I have had nothing but support emotionally, relationally, physically, even financially through years and just lots of support. There may be someone sitting here right now, you're like, my relationship with Christ has cost me within my family. That's a strange group of people. Like, about my own family. But I'll tell you another group, and it's this one. This is extremely odd when those who look religious and those who sound religious end up opposing God's people. Put a marker here in Romans 12, if you would. Join me, chapter 12 of John. John chapter 12. And those of you that come on Wednesday nights and then on Sunday mornings, you may have noticed this year, like, is it me or does it seem like Things that we read in our reading plan keep coming up in Jeff's teaching and preaching. I can't help it. I'm just telling you, it seems like every week something correlates with where we're at, and I think this week does. Talking about persecution coming from strange sources, look at John chapter 12, verse number 1. This would be the Saturday before Palm Sunday, and the Lord will die six days later on that Friday. Six days before Jesus' death on the cross. It's a Saturday. Watch. Watch. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. This is just a few, few miles from Jerusalem. Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, boy this sounds familiar, Martha serving again. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Guys, I believe, so Jesus has these 12 disciples, and then there's Lazarus. When Jesus is in town, he and Lazarus seem to always get together. I believe Jesus is really good friends with Lazarus, probably more than he is really good friends with some of the 12. And it's like, and they know this, and maybe he's really good friends with others of them more than others. But Lazarus, he's chilling out. They're eating together. Martha's running around serving. But then there's this other sister. She's in the zone, man. She's in the zone. Like what? Verse 3. Mary, therefore, Martha's serving, Lazarus is chilling, fellowshipping, eating. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. We know that she had from other gospels a very expensive jar that she broke the jar when she does this. And she anointed the feet of Jesus. The other gospels tell us she also anoints the head of Jesus and the feet. And here the Bible says, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We're talking about the pure stuff that you would take a little and dilute it down with some other liquid and then you'd go sell it for a lot of money. I mean, if if what she did was right here this morning, it would take no time for this room to be filled with the smell of this. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, this is one of the twelve, he who was about to betray him five days later said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Translation, what are you doing? You just wasted all of that. Lord, why are you letting her waste this? That could have been sold and given to them. Well, this guy really cares about the poor. He loves to really make good use of the money. Uh, no, verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was being put into it. You see that? Well, this could have been given to the poor. We could have sold this for, in today's terms, probably $25,000, dollars $40,000. We could have given $25,000, dollars $40,000 to the poor. And you just wasted it, pouring it all out. I know this word upset some people. And you'll have to forgive me if it's too ugly. Why didn't nobody in the room say, won't you just shut up? Or to people like, why don't you uh, be quiet? 
Nobody does. Let me let you in on a little secret. As long as true people are, are really, truly worshiping Christ, there's always going to be somebody on the sideline not worshiping Christ, criticizing them. Always will be there. Unholy, ungodly, worshipless people criticizing those who are in the zone. Here she is pouring her love on the Lord. And there's Judas talking a good game, but boy, stealing out of the money bag. Finally, verse 7, Jesus said, and he knows who Judas is, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She had this set aside for my burial. She poured it on me a few days early. I'm not going to need it. That's the translation. I'm not going to need this to put down the stench of my corrupt body because I'm going to come back to life before my body decomposes. Verse 8, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Here they are. Here's the religious looking, the inside guy, the guy with the position, criticizing the woman truly worshiping persecution. But it gets worse. Look at verse number 9. So there at Lazarus' house, you remember he was the one who was raised from the dead. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, so word spreading, hey, Jesus is at Lazarus' house. They came, not only on account of him, Jesus, but also, hey, I want to see Lazarus too. Man, where were you? What was happening? Where were you after those three days? What was it like? Whom he had raised from the dead. That's what's happening. So this buzz is a few miles away from Jerusalem. John says in verse 10, so the chief priest, guys, I'm saying, these are the most, these are the highest ranking religious people in all the land. I mean, the most religious people, you would think. What are they saying? The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They were already planning to put Jesus to death and they would do it six days later. Now, how can we kill Lazarus? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Do you see it? The most religious people. What are they doing now? We've got to not only kill him because we think he's a blasphemer, but now we need to kill this man. This puzzles me. I read this this week and I honestly thought, did anyone in these meetings close the door? How are we going to do it? Right. I think we can catch him here. I've watched this pattern. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get him and we're also going to kill this Lazarus fellow. Did no one stop and say, hey, time out, guys. Hang on. Hang on. Before we kill him, what did he do? What did he do? People are believing in Jesus because of me. Okay, I get that. What did he do, though? Well, he didn't do anything. It was what was done to him. He came out of a grave when Jesus said, come forward. We're going to murder a man because he did nothing but be raised from the dead? Yes. I call that persecution. Where did it come from? The religious elite. Back to Romans. Now let's go through these verses. As we do, you're going to notice four sets of prohibitions and four commands. Four don'ts, four do's. And they kind of pair off and it goes something like this. Here's the overview, the last overview just before we get into the verses. Do not, so hear this, grace view, as an individual, hear this. Do not curse your persecutors. Desire blessing for them. Number two, do not repay evil for evil. Be seen doing what is right. Number three, never avenge yourselves. Do good to your enemies. And then the fourth contrast, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 14, look at it with me. Bless those who persecute you. This would be action and word. Bless and do not curse them. Do not pronounce cursings on them. Do not wish for cursings on them. 
I didn't read this fresh. I had an old note, and I'm going to say this is a paraphrase. This is not a direct quote, but Matthew Henry gives us four quick points out of verse number 14 that goes somewhere like this. Now, before I give them to you, you need to kind of think, and I, I, as I do this today, I'm, I'm banking that the Holy Spirit is causing you to think of the people who have hurt you and have wronged you, not so that you will get more and more angry and want to retaliate, but so that you can apply the text. Four things. Can you do these four things? Number one, speak well of your persecutors. Speak well of your persecutors. Can you do that? Can we speak well? You're like, oh yeah. I'll tell you what, they did that to me. I want to tell everybody what happened. You ever been there? Have you ever had something happen to you? Can you guys relate what I'm talking about? Has someone ever done something you're like, I'm going to get on the phone, I'm going to call everyone that knows them and me, and I'm going to tell them how it really went down. And I'm going to fix this. Jesus says, speak well of them. Don't, if you can't speak well, don't say anything, but when it comes up, just you be the one speaking well. If someone else says something, that's their business. But from your lips, you speak well. Secondly, get it? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to Facebook, and I'm going to fire off a post, and I'm going to show everyone what they did, that person or that group, and everybody needs to know this. Don't do that. That's not of God. The second one, also tough, speak respectfully to your persecutors. So not just speak well about them, but speak respectfully to you. Like, yeah, well, I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to straighten them out. I'm going to put them in. I'm going to scream at them. And I believe Henry's right when he says, don't do that. Speak respectfully to them. Is that hard to do? I mean, have you ever been hurt? I mean, really, really wrong? They're, they're just dead wrong, and you were totally innocent in it. And along comes Jesus and Paul and says, speak well of them and speak respectfully to them. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a distinction. I believe on your good days, you guys can pull those two off. I believe you can. All right, all right, I got it. I got it. This is going to be tough. All right. I'm not going to say what I wanted to say. All right. Oh, there they are. I can play nice. I'll play nice. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I hate your guts. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah. Have a good one. Hi. There, see, I did it. Now, the third and the fourth, much harder. Henry's right. Third thing. Truly desire good for your persecutors. That goes from action to your heart. Oh, wait, wait. does God really expect this? Truly desire good. I want good to happen. And then the fourth one's going to test our heart. Are we really meaning it when he writes, actually pray for good for your persecutor. I hear that and I'm thinking, yeah, I do think that's what the text is saying. I think that's what God's calling for. But Lord, this is impossible because I seriously don't want, when I get in the zone and I know I'm really talking to the God of the universe and I'm getting ready to get some real request answered. Are you serious? I'm supposed to use some of my prayer request credits on them? To bless, let's say I kind of, okay, I don't want evil. Let's just leave it there. Don't drop the hammer. I'm supposed to go further. Lord, bless their righteous endeavors. Really, God, I want you to bless their righteous, not bless their evil, but God, really, really bless their righteous endeavors. That's tough. You say, well, nobody really would really, really get locked into prayer and like if God's listening saying, hey, I'll drop the hammer, I'll bless them. What do you want? God, I really want you to bless them. Nobody would do that. Jesus did. 
Father, forgive them. They know not what they did. Stephen did it. And I think Paul, as he's writing verse number 14, I think he has in his mind what Stephen was doing because Paul was holding the clothes of the people who were out there throwing stones at Stephen. I believe Stephen's a top ten character, most important character in the New Testament, and he's being killed. And I believe Paul could never get away from that guy was praying for me. Father, don't hold this sin against him. God, don't even let it count as he's dying. Stephen's way up here above everybody else to that time. I believe above the apostles. Stephen's awesome. Jeff's not so awesome. Verse 17. Told you we're doing running commentary today. Ask God to speak to you out of verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Our God calls us, do not repay evil for evil. Why? Evil for evil, for evil has never won anyone to Christ. It just doesn't work. Evil for, for evil. I said I was going to say things that are really, really plain. Here's the second one that's really, really plain. Did you catch what the Bible says? Here it is, really plain. It's evil. It's evil. What that means is just because someone does evil to you does not mean you get to do evil back and God's okay with it. Hey, they started it. Okay, since they started it, do evil back. They lied about you, go lie about them. They hit you, hit them. They committed adultery against you, you've got an unfaithful card and you can use it whenever you, ah, I got it, and anytime I want to cash it in, it's mine. Evil for evil. You stole from me, I'll steal from you. You verbally abuse me, I'll verbally abuse you. You hit me, I'll hit you. Evil for evil. Makes sense to me. God says, no. Again, none of you have ever done this, but I confess, I hope I never do this again, but I'll tell you I've done this. You're riding down the road, and you get cut off. And I'm thinking of two versions. There's the riding down the road and honestly, your mirror, after you stop or slow way down, your mirror shows you very clearly there was plenty of room behind you. Why in the world did you pull out in front of me? Why could you not? You, you know, you could have. Why did you? And the other is, they come zipping by on your left, go by you, move over in front of you, and all of a sudden they go the same speed you're going anyway or slower. You say, yeah, Jeff, that's happened to me one time. What do you do? I'll tell you what I have done. I ease out in the left lane, I speed up, I get over in front of them, and I slow back down, just let them know, see there? You cut me off, I cut you off, buddy. By the way, somebody today, before you get home, one of us is going to get cut off today. And we'll cut them back off. I'll show them. That's evil for, for evil. Hold on, Jeff, got a problem. The Bible says, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Remember that? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. They do that, we do it back. Is the Bible contradictory? Listen carefully, I'm going to offer two viewpoints. There's a secondary I'll give first, and then I'm going to give you the primary. Here's the secondary. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was not meant for individual retaliation. You say, what's the purpose of the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Here it is. Do not... Over repay. Do not over punish people with 
a penalty that doesn't fit the crime. Picture back in that time period. Let's say the Bartlett's lived way back at the time of Christ. Hey, you don't do that to the Bartlett's. You better not do that around the Bartlett's around Asheville, North Carolina. We'll get you. You steal one of our sheep, we'll burn your house down. You injure one of our kids, we'll kill one of your family members. You don't do that to us. And you get a little reputation. And so people don't mess with your stuff. Why? Because those people, boy, they're kind of, they got guns and dogs and they hunt bears and stuff. And those people are kind of wacko. Watch out for those Bartlett's. That's not an eye for an eye. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? A house for sheep? That's not equal. Death for injury? No, no, you can't do that. So it's not an individual retaliation. The second thing, and I believe the main thing, you say, what does it point to? We're heading to chapter 13 very soon. And I think this is what eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth in the Old Testament means. It means let the civil government do its job and protect the citizenry. And they're supposed to come in unemotionally. And it is their job to do the work of God and say, All right, I, you're going to cost, cost you an eye. This is metaphorically. You knock their eye out, it's going to cost your eye. You knock their tooth out, it's go we're going to have your tooth removed. You stole their sheep, you're going to give back their sheep and some more. You burn their house, it's going to, have your, it's going to cost your house. The government does this. Why? To maintain order in a very disordered society. It's never been, well, get them back. And then the end of verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. That doesn't work. Give thought to do what is honorable. I'm not spending long on the end of verse 17. Just to say this. Do what is honorable in the sight of all means. People are watching our reactions. So when Jeff decides, going to zip over in the left lane, fly up front and pull over, all I need is an unsafe person I've been trying to witness to or a neighbor or a church member to go, mm-hmm, I saw what you did. Very human, very human, very normal. Not Christ-like. What I needed to do is what is right and beautiful. And I'm never saying, I'm not saying never use your horn. I'm not saying that. Sometimes people, you just need to know, you did see me, right? Eh, I'm right. Oh, sorry. And you get that a lot. Sorry. And sometimes it's, hey, get over it. I'm in a hurry. Yeah, none of us are in a hurry. Look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What does this mean? If possible I think it means that we can only take care of our part of the relationship so in your family some of you your, your mind immediately goes I told you a while ago I just not had persecution within the family a lot of support some of you are like in the family okay. if possible as much as lies within your ability live peaceably in the neighborhood you say, well, we've got this one neighbor. What about your side? Is your side the way it's supposed to be? Are you having your, the reaction you should have? Are we, is Graceview, the best neighbors in Anderson County? We need to be. Are Christians the best neighbors? Are Christians the best coworkers? You're like, there's this one guy at work. Or there's this girl at work. But how are you? As much as lies within your ability. What about in church? It's going to happen. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. Live peaceably as much as it's up to you. Why? I think there's two reasons why the Bible starts in verse 18. If possible. Why? Reason number one. Because sometimes, this is important, sometimes keeping the peace would mean offending God. Jeff, what do you mean? Sometimes just, just keep the peace. Let's just get along. But do you know what's going on? Do you know what's happening? Yeah, but let's, let's act like that's not a big deal. 
let's don't, don't stir things up. Everything's good. Let's just kind of don't make a deal out of it. Let's just keep finding the common ground. Sometimes keeping the peace means offending God. You say, Jeff, what are you saying? Let me put it plainly. There are times that there are fights to fight. And on those times, we fight the fights. But here's the key. We really, really seek peace. We really want harmony and peace. But if there is a fight to fight, we will fight it. We want to keep the peace, here it comes, but never at the cost of truth. Well, let's just act like God doesn't stand for that or against that, and let's just, let's just move on and get along, right? Anything goes, peace at all costs. No, peace at all costs is not biblical. I'm not going into it deeply. Would you look back at Acts 15? Acts chapter 15. Paul's just finished the first missionary journey. He's gone and he's told Gentiles like us, Gentiles, guess what? You can go to heaven if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Literally, as a Gentile, as you are, if you'll believe in what Jesus did on the cross, ask him to be your savior, confess to him your sins, receive him as Lord, you will go to heaven. And everything was great, people getting saved. Until chapter 15, verse number 1. But some men came down from Judea. This is down in Jerusalem. So Paul's several hundred miles up north in a city called Antioch. Here come some Jews from Jerusalem. And they were teaching the brothers, the Christians. Here's what they're saying. Here's their message. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's their message. Hey, did Paul tell you you've got to be circumcised? No, he never mentioned that. Did he do anything about circumcised? No. Are you, are you circumcised? I haven't, I haven't been circumcised. Gentiles at that time weren't circumcised. Well, oh no, I guess we better. Paul hears about this going, he's like, what, what, what are you telling my people? Yeah, apparently you forgot to tell them. They have to be circumcised. They're not really saved. They're almost saved, but they're not really. What are you doing? Well, that's what, we're from Jerusalem. We have authority. You get out of here. You're telling lies. Oh no, no. The guys in Jerusalem, Paul, you're a renegade. You're not telling the whole story. Is that what they're saying out of Jerusalem? You know what Paul does? Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. We're going to Jerusalem. Apostles, get together. I don't know what you guys have been teaching. Get the elders together. You guys have been telling these people, they're up there telling my people they have to be circumcised to really be saved. Is that true? And all of a sudden, like, oh, well, calm down, Paul. That message is not from us. And they had this thing called the Jerusalem Council. Paul got ticked. You don't tell my people they have to work their way to heaven. It's by grace and grace only. I mean, he got, you know, Jeff, you ever get fired up? Yeah, sometimes I get a little fired up, stuff like that. I hate that legalism and work salvation and, and haughtiness and we're the circumcised and you have to come up and be Jewish to go to heaven. Lies, lies, lies. Paul got hot. So it's not just peace at all costs. Second thing out of verse 18 is this. Why does the Bible say it possible? I hope no one comes to your mind, but I dare say someone will come to some of your minds. Some people just refuse to live peacefully with others. I hope your mind is blank, but unfortunately many of you are accurately thinking of someone. They just refuse. Have you ever met someone who cannot rest until there's unrest? I've known some pastors who like things get going well in the church and it's like they start digging and stirring up. Like, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to create, we need some fights going on. So look at verse 18. I'm almost done with it. We'll move on. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. If possible. I think verse 18 insinuates something. There are certain people, we love them, and we're kind to them, 
but we avoid them. You say, really? You think that's, I think, I think that's what if possible means. If they just insist on stirring, on, on stirring up trouble and killing the harmony and the peace, then just stay away from them. And if somebody's in your life like that, they just, they just refuse to live in peace. If you can, avoid them. And some of you are thinking of a person. Now, here's my only thing here. Please don't you be the person that someone in here is thinking about. Don't be that person. So you may be saying, I've got somebody in mind, but five people are thinking about you. I hope I'm not that person. Like, Man, I can't hang around that Jeff guy. He just always is stirring up trouble. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Third time, I'm going to say the obvious. Third time, what is clear, I'm going to say what is clear. You ready? Vengeance is God's. Vengeance is God's. Who's that gift bag for? Oh, Bill. Okay, sorry. What if it's not mine? I'm just going to take it. It's mine. You don't do that. You say, no, Jeff, no one in here would just go take what's not theirs. Guys, this is so simple, but it needs said. The Bible is saying vengeance is not yours, it's God's. It's kind of like tithes and offerings. They're not yours. And if you just hold on to the tithes and the offerings, you're stealing from God. God says the glory is mine. But when we try to steal the glory and get all the credit, God says, you're robbing me. God says, hear this, this is important. God says, I want to do vengeance for you. I want to do this. It's mine. And we go, no, I think I'll do the vengeance. You're robbing God of what is his. Don't do it. It belongs to him. Sometimes God uses the government to bring vengeance and his wrath. Let them do their job. You say, Jeff, is there ever a time to call the police? Sure. If you're being wrong to that degree, call 911. Get them to come out. You don't have to do this. God's like, I'll do it. I ordained the civil authorities. I ordained church authorities. Let them handle it. You don't have to. This is me. You say, Jeff, are there ever times where the government does do it? Listen to what I'm about to say. It's very important. If the government doesn't do it, or the authority in the home, mom and dad, don't do it, the authorities in the church, don't do it, and it falls outside of those realms, God will intervene himself, and he will do it. And here's all I want to say. Don't you ever be caught persecuting God's people. Please don't you be caught. You say, I've been persecuted. Please don't persecute God's people because God will get vengeance on you and you do not want God getting vengeance on you. You will be sorry. Paul persecuted the early church and I believe, I know, he was sorry. You say, yeah, but he ended up getting saved, going to heaven. But if you knew how often he thought, I wish I had not done that. Guys, I'm telling you, you may be here this morning, I'm not even a Christian. Don't you dare persecute God's people. You're making a huge mistake. You will have God against you. Rather leave it to wrath. Leave room, leave space for God's wrath. I believe that requires a lot of faith, and I believe leaving space for God's wrath reveals 
a lot of faith. Write it down. Four things. Say, Jeff, if I just back up and let God do what he says he will do, then what would that mean? That means you honestly in your heart of hearts believe God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means you in your heart, you have to tell yourself, you have to remember this, God, I really want to get even, I want to to say it back, I want to kick it up a notch, I want to do it back, but I want to back up, I I believe this verse, you really are, you really do exist, you're omniscient, here's what it means. Nothing escapes his knowledge, take comfort in what I'm about to say, somebody right here, you're really struggling with this today, you have horrible feelings of resentment and bitterness towards someone, maybe you're even thinking about retaliating or you have been retaliating and you need to undo something you've already done. Can I comfort you with this? Listen, he sees you. He knows what they did, but here's what he knows that you don't know. He has your address. He's been watching. He saw what they did. He knows what you're going through. But here's what you don't know. He knows why they did what they did. You don't know that. Do y'all know that they maybe, maybe they did what they did because they have no relationship with Christ or they have had no example in their life? That's all they've ever been known. It's all they've ever seen. God knows that. Number two, it reveals faith in God's omnipotence. You say, what is this omnipotence? Not only does he know everything, but he has all the power. After you write that, look in the middle of verse 19, at the end. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. These next three thoughts, I want to to look at those words. I will repay. Listen, God says, I'm omnipotent. Here's what that means. I will repay. Don't you do it. I will repay. You know what God says? I'm stronger than you. Let me do this. It also points to God's justice. God's scales are balanced. They're equal. They have equity. What God says is, I will repay. I, who have more power than you, will repay and it'll fit the crime. You may do too much or you may not do enough. I will do what is fitting and right. You have to trust me on this. I will repay. It will fit. And the third, fourth thing is, God's love is real. I think God not only says, hey, whoa, 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 I, who am more powerful than you, I will repay. And then secondly, I will repay, it'll fit. But third, God says, I will, I promise you, if you're struggling this morning. God says, I will, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to defend you. The last thought on verse 19 is this. Does verse 19 imply... If you avenge yourself, then God will not. If you avenge yourself, you say, I'll take care of it. I believe what it's saying is, then God's not going to avenge you. Verse 20. Don't do that. But verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. I have to ask two questions. I'm going to read MacArthur's quote on this verse. Number one, who's your enemy? Who is it? Do they have a need? My first thought a couple of days ago was, tell the people, don't go out of their way. But if it happens in the course of life that they cross this person and they know of a need, then tell them to do it. That's the spirit. But then I thought about what the Lord has done for us, and he definitely went out of the way. Does your enemy, do you have an enemy? 
Do they have a need that you can righteously fulfill? If so, give it to them. You're like, yeah, I want to give it to them. No, no. Give it to them. Bless them. Meet their need. Hey, I say you're hungry. What are you doing? What are you doing? We, we both know what, where we're at with each other. But I saw that you're hungry. Here, I saw that you're thirsty. Here, I see that you have a need. Let me do that for you. What are you, what are you trying to do? Just, just, the Lord led me to do that. MacArthur says this whole burning coals, what does that mean? He says, quote, this refers to an ancient Egyptian custom in which a person who wanted to show public contrition carried a pan of burning coals on his head. The coals represented the burning pain of his shame and guilt. When believers lovingly help their enemies, it should bring shame to such people for their hate and animosity. Just do them good. God may use it to change their heart and to make them ashamed and feel guilty for what they've done. Leads us to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Grace for you. I don't know who it is, but there are some folks who are really struggling with this. This is really hard for you because you have fresh wounds. Can I beg you to do this? Don't let evil win. You say, how would I know that evil is winning? If you're bitter, evil is winning. Don't be bitter. You say, Jeff, I just can't stop. The conclusion in a moment, if you will implement these three things, I honestly believe you will be able to let the bitterness go. But if you hold on to the bit, by the way, some, you may be even worse than that. You are literally depressed. You're depressed because of what has been done to you. And you've been holding on to it and your bitterness has literally turned into depression. You are so beat down, you don't even know that you're going to get back up. You are losing. Evil is winning. You are not conquering. It's conquering you. Don't do that. Overcome evil. Listen to me. Sin is no longer your master. You are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We will overcome evil. It was in one of the songs today. Only because they're good quotes and a whole lot better than I could say it. I'm going to give you three quotes. William Barclay writes the following. Hear it. I'm going to read it slow. To stoop to vengeance is to be ourselves conquered by evil. Evil can never be conquered by evil. If hatred is met with more hatred, then hatred is increased. But if hatred is met with love, then an antidote to the poison is found. And in Barclay quotes Booker Washington, one sentence. Talk about a man and a, and a, and a people that were wronged. A whole people of slavery. Booker Washington has the biblical attitude. He says, quote, I will not allow any man. Have you been wronged more than they were wronged? I've had some things done to me. Have your people been put in slavery and beaten and not given a chance to live life? Treated as property? And their kids and grandkids, property of someone else? But here's this man has this godly spirit. He says, I will not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. I'm not going to do it. 
you're not going to win. And then Barclay picks up off of that and returns and he says, the only way to destroy an enemy, you're like, yeah, now that's all. You got my attention. How do we destroy an enemy? Make him a friend. Make him a friend. You no longer have an enemy. <clears throat> if you want to fill in your handout, John R.W. Stott writes the following. To repay evil for evil is to be overcome by it. To repay good for evil is to overcome evil with good. This is the way of the cross. Do y'all know there's a lot of evil in the world and Jesus conquered evil on the cross? That's his method. I'll go do the most good that's ever been done and conquer evil. So here's my conclusion. Jeff, make it really, really clear. Here's a fourth thing. Who are we talking about? Who does all this apply to? Here it comes. You ready? <clears throat> this message applies to the person that comes to your mind when I say this. Who's hurt you? Who has wronged you? If you just had a face and a name, that's who this message applies to. Secondly, here's who it applies to. The next person that will wrong you, this message applies to the next person that will wrong you. A third group, this message applies to the terrorists and nations of people and religions around the world that would literally just as soon all of us be dead. This message applies to them. You say, Jeff, are you not in favor of our military? I'm absolutely in favor, favor of our military. Are you not in favor of self-defense? I'm in favor of self-defense. But if our heart and our attitude is, I want to see those people chopped down, cut down, wasted away, and let them go to hell, you do not have the heart and the mind of Christ. Jeff, do you support our military? Absolutely, I do, but they have a difficult task. I'm glad it's not my calling, but I'm glad of those who that it is their calling. I don't want to pull a trigger or, or push a button that takes people into eternity, but somebody has to do that. And I, re I realize that can be the judgment of God on a group of people, but where's our heart? You say, Jeff, I don't even know. Is this even possible? Is there any hope? I can't do this. Three things. This message will happen in our life when three things take place. Number one, when we believe vengeance really is God's. So if you're here this morning, you say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with hatred and bitterness and anger and resentment. Man, I want to retaliate. What if you honestly believe? Okay, hold on. God... I believe you are all-knowing. I believe you really are just. And I believe you really do love me. So, Lord, vengeance is yours. It may take a while, and it seems like it is taking a while, but you know what, God? I trust you. Vengeance is yours. I'm releasing it to you. Justice will be done. It's possible. Secondly, these next two I believe are the key. Because the Holy Spirit is a real person, I believe that when the Holy Spirit who lives in believers is allowed to control us, I mean invited, I don't want to just be possessed, I want to be fully controlled. Then all of a sudden I start, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of Christ in me, then I will start thinking, feeling, acting like Jesus who died for his enemies. All of a sudden, guys, what I'm proposing is if the Holy Spirit's allowed to be fully in control, invite that, you might even reach a point where you literally are praying, God, God, don't drop the hammer on them. 
And God's saying, I'll do it right now. I'll drop down. You say, what? No, Lord, don't lay this sin. Guys, because they're either going to pay for it in this life or they will pay for it in the next life. And I believe a spirit-filled Christian really would get to the point, I don't want that for them. They really hurt me and it really does hurt. But hell is forever and it's horrible and it's far worse than we think it is. It is real. So Lord, don't let them pay for this, what they did to me. Just withhold. Just, Just don't even count it. I believe that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is in charge. Which leads to the third. We can really bless and feed and do good for our enemy. Here's the key. When you stop and really meditate how Christ did that for you. Have you thought about that lately? Have you ever done this? Lord, they really hurt me. But it is such a small fraction of what I've done to you. Many more far worse, and you are so far above me that it's not even a comparison of man against man sin. So Lord, I just forgive them. Lord, just bless their righteous endeavors and withhold your judgment. It is possible. So every Christian in here this morning, I'm going to invite you to do this. Right where you sit, right now, implement those three things. God, I believe you will have vengeance, so I'm going to trust you. Holy Spirit, I want you to change the way I think, feel, and act. And I'm going to focus on how Christ has died in my place. And I want you to literally just release the resentment, release the desire for retaliation. And then my last thought is this. I close my Bible one verse too early. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God will have vengeance on all sin. Yours. And yours, and yours, and yours. God will have vengeance on all evil. He has to. It's His nature. He cannot let it slide. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. You say, well, I haven't done those things. You are a sinner by birth, by nature, and you're a sinner by your actions. You are offensive to God. You've made a stance. I am the enemy of God. And you know what God has done? He's been good to you. Your food tastes good. He's given you something to eat and to, and to drink and to wear and you left the house and you have money and you, you have a vehicle and you have beautiful days outside and we know we've had plenty of rain, right? God's been good to you. Has His goodness caused you to feel conviction and sorrow and contrition and guilt and shame? Or are you just like, hey, He'll always keep being good to me. Apparently He's not very upset with my sin. I'm going to get by with it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. He has to. It's his, it's his nature. He will judge your sin. The good news is, He judged it on Jesus on the cross. Jesus says, I'm coming to earth. I'm going to take all the evil. And the Father poured out His wrath on our evil. But if you reject Jesus, 
you will pay for your sin in hell for eternity and it will be a just payment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm just wondering, is anyone here this morning? Now, let me say it differently. Not if. The Lord knows, and I hope you know. Who here this morning, inside yourself, right now, I'm going to invite you to tune out every distraction. Who here this morning would internally identify yourself? You're like, I have never, I do not remember a time in my life where I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never literally taken an actual step. I've never taken that. I've heard about it. And I might even have lived up till now assuming that at some point it's happened. I have never actually taken the step of asking Jesus or receiving Him, acknowledging Him as my Lord. I have never had a time in my life where I have confessed to Him, I am a sinner. Not just acts of sin, I am a sinner. And ask Him to save me. I kind of hang out with Christians and I go to church and maybe interested in spiritual things. Who here this morning needs to identify themselves as that person? You have never trusted Jesus. You've never received His salvation. You've never called on Him as Lord. Then here's my question. Here's my question. And it's a sincere one. Answer it within yourself. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe He'll forgive you if you ask Him? Can God lie? God says that He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him, whoever, well, you don't understand. I have like really bad sin. If you knew what it was, if you knew what it was, you might not be comfortable around me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus, God, God knows. I don't want you to know my stuff. I wouldn't want you to know my thoughts and actions. It's been dark. But as a nine-year-old kid, he forgave me of every sin I've ever committed, everyone I ever would commit. He really did save me from it. Jesus' death was enough. Have you ever just said, God, I believe you. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're sitting there and you say, that is me, that is so me, I've never done it. Do you believe God? I want to encourage you right now. Do not do this. Do not sit there and think of all the ramifications. If I were to give my life to Christ and ask Him to be my Savior, then it would mean that and that and that. And go through all the little dominoes. Forget about all that. Your soul is too valuable. His death on the cross is too valuable. He deserves the glory. He wants to save you. Do it right now. Right now. Talk to Him right now. God. I believe you. God, you said that you would save me. So, Lord, I'm admitting I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I receive Jesus as my Lord. I take you up. I take you up on your offer of free salvation. 
Father, lead someone to have that conversation with you. Give them faith. That's the only chance they have. Lord, the Christian that's sitting here this morning, that is, they're getting ready to get up and walk out of here full of bitterness and anger, depression. Lord, let them trust that vengeance is yours. Let them trust that you really love them, that you're omniscient, you're just. Lord, give us such a vision of Jesus' death for us that we can't help but forgive others. And Lord, fill us, not just possess us, but fill us with the Holy Spirit. 